The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. I want to talk with you today about the new year and about your new goals, your new resolutions that you might have. And I want to really dig down beneath those uh, objectives that you have to the inner you, the, the parts in your heart and soul that drive you to want to achieve or to become healthier or to have a better marriage or to get whatever it is that you're looking to get out of 2014. And really today, I want to help you work smarter instead of working harder. Have you ever heard that term? You know, in so many uh, industries, in so many fields of work, you can just keep doing things the exact same way and work harder and harder, or you can kind of look at the big picture and assess and, and change a few things or maybe purchase some new equipment and work a whole lot smarter and continue working hard, right? Ken Davis tells this story about a dear old lady who had a German shepherd dog. This old lady, her name was Millie, and she just loved her dog. Well, one day she looked in the backyard, and uh, Millie was chewing on something, uh, and, and she couldn't tell what it was, so she called her dog, and, and to, her, to her dismay, she saw that it was this guinea pig, their, their neighbor's guinea pig that, that lived in a little cage on the neighbor's back porch. Somehow, uh, her dog had gotten it and the guinea pig, it was dead and it was just covered in German shepherd dog slobber. Well, this, this dear old lady, she didn't know what to do and she thought about it. She didn't want her neighbors to be upset. So, so she took the guinea pig inside and she, she washed it off. She got all the dog saliva off of it. And then, you know, it just kind of looked like this wet rat. So she got her blow dryer and, and she kind of, you know, fluffed its hair up and it, it, it really looked good at this point. It pretty much looked like, it was alive. So then she waited for her neighbors to go out and do some errands and she snuck over there to their back porch and she opened the little gate and she put the little guinea pig in there hoping that they'd just think maybe it you know, had a heart attack or, or something, right? Well, uh, later that night, her doorbell rang. It was her neighbor. Millie, I need your help. Well, what seems to be the problem? It's our guinea pig, Millie. Oh, man, she gulped. He died. And we buried him in the backyard two weeks ago, and now he's back in his cage. I think I'm losing my mind, Millie. Well, you know, as we step into the new year, it's it's a reality that so many people, so many of us are living lives that are kind of blow dried and fluffed up on the outside and underneath are very lifeless and limp and empty. When it comes to the new year every year, we kind of pull our weary selves up by our bootstraps and say, okay, I'm going to get back in there. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, kind of psych myself up for another year. And, and then for some of us, you know, the hype of the holidays wears off after a while and we're back to our kind of tired, mundane life. Today we're looking into God's word and we're going to discover a new way 
to go about your work. Now, this includes your career, your job work, but this is so much bigger than that. This is the work of life that we're talking about. Your work to be fulfilled, your work to matter, your work to be loved and to be valued, your work to be satisfied and to make a difference. We're talking about the work that our souls do to figure out who we are and to find fulfillment. You know, it really doesn't matter what great things you achieve externally if internally you're still unsatisfied. You, you become like that, that guinea pig who's all fluffed up but, but dead underneath. I don't know if any of you have ever had a year where you've set really high goals and you've reached them all. Uh, I'm one of these just nerdy people that ever since high school, every year, I write out my goals for the next year, and they always get bigger. And by God's grace, I've had some years where some really big things, I look at, at back after the year, and every one of them has happened. And, and here's what I've learned. I learned that if I'm not alive underneath with God, then all the achievements don't really matter. They're just fluffed up fur on a dead guinea pig. I've learned that the deeper fulfillment, the smarter work of the soul happens when I stop doing things to earn my value and I start doing things because I'm valued. When I stop working alone and when I start working in companionship with Christ who does the heavy Lifting. That's what God wants to teach you today about the work of your life. Stop doing to earn your value, your affirmation, your love. Start doing because you are valued and affirmed and loved in Christ. You don't have to do a bunch of stuff to prove who you are. You can do a bunch of stuff because of who you are. And as simple as that flip sounds, it's a, it's a world of difference. And equally uh, different is this idea of stopping, you know, working alone, trying to carry everything, do everything, and to start working in companionship with the God who created you. You could think of it this way. It's, it's kind of a New Year's resolution to not just do more, but to know God more in your doing, to learn more of who you are in Christ. And God designed you to know more about God, to know him in work. If you look at the book of Genesis, um, God works. Doesn't all, The whole Bible, God's story to us, starts with God working a six-day work week. And then he takes a, 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 then he takes a vacation day. And then he creates Adam, and this is before the fall. I, I hate to break this to some of you who don't enjoy work, but before sin, before the fall, when everything was perfect, God gave Adam a job. He said, here's this perfect planet. Now, it probably wouldn't have been too hard to manage because it was perfect, but it was still Adam's job. Your job is to take care of this planet. That's why Adam, you know, named the animals. And he didn't have to pull weeds in the garden, but, you know, someone still had to pull all that perfect organic fruit off. And, you know, that was Adam's job. You were created in God's image to accomplish, to do, because that's God's nature. And he made you in his image. 
But he made us so that as we work, we get to know him as a co-laborer and as a helper. But part of the fall that separated us away from God is we still have, we're, we're, like, a, we're like a broken machine. We still have this desire to work and do and create, but we go about it without God. And, and as a result, we, we run ourselves dry. We run ourselves empty. So today we're moving away from doing great things to prove that you are and moving into doing great things because of who you are in Christ. If you want to turn with me to Psalm 121, Psalm 121, our message today comes from a body of psalms, a collection of psalms that are known as the Psalms of Ascent. These are traveling songs. This was traveling music. And the reason they're called Songs of Ascent is because Thousands of years ago, God's people who lived all around the area of Israel, every year they'd make a pilgrimage, a trip back to Jerusalem to celebrate God at these various feasts like Passover. And these are the songs that they would sing while they traveled back there. It's traveling music. And uh, it's all of Psalms 120 to 134. If you don't have a, a scripture reading plan yet for your new year, this would be a great place to start. Great way to start your new year is just, these psalms are all short, uh, and they're all about ascending, traveling. It's a great way to start as you ascend into a new year to read these psalms. Let's start by uh, reading one of them here, Psalm 121. And then what I'm going to do today is just pull out a few principles um, for us from these psalms of ascent. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now now think about this. We're going to finish this chapter. But this is, God's people would sing this for their own heart's sake, and they'd sing it to each other as they're traveling through desert. I mean, imagine going by foot from here to Phoenix. You know, imagine doing that in June. Um, it, it's hot. It's dry. The sun's blaring. Uh, there's um, marauders and bandits at this time, right? When you lay down to sleep at night, you, you kind of hope you're not going to have to grab your weapon. Um, th- th- this was, it wasn't as easy as traveling is today. And these are the songs they'd sing. So let's pick up in verse 5. The Lord watches over you as you travel. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. As I've been reading these Psalms of Ascent, these traveling songs, one of the first things I realized is, you know, God's people didn't go back to Jerusalem every year to earn the right to be God's people. They went back every year because they were God's people. And I wonder, as you uh, work through all the ambitions in your heart and the things you want to accomplish, are you working to try and prove, you know, maybe you had one of those dads, like so many folks, where just, you know, he never approved of you. And, and you find yourself your whole life trying to prove that you're worthwhile, that you're acceptable, that you have value. 
Are, are you spending your life working to, to prove who you are? Or do you want to turn to God today and say, God, I want to know who I am in you. And I want to be on this journey and doing the things you've created me to do because of who I am. And we also see in the Psalms of Ascent that God's people didn't travel alone. He was with them. Sometimes we get so driven to do and we get just so busy with the number of things we have that there's not really a lot of room for God to be with us. He still wants to help, he still, but there's not really any room to know him as our traveling companion. It, will 2014 be a different year for you where instead of doing it all alone, you maybe let go of a few things so that you have time to know God as you're on this journey. So three ways God wants us to know him in the work of life. That's why this message is titled New Ergonomics. Ergonomics is the study of work. How do you work? We're going to study how you work today. Ergon is the Greek word for work. And how are you working? Are you working in a way that's with God or apart from God? Are you working in a way to try and prove yourself? Or are you working because of who you are? First way to get to know God through the work of your life. Do you know God as your helper? Do you know God as your helper? Well, we saw this in Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? If you turn over to Psalm 124, we're going to see a similar thing. The final verse of Psalm 124, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I don't know if you've ever had this happen. I've never had this happen in Prescott, but sometimes when I'm traveling in, in other cities, um, this has happened where I'll try and hold the door for somebody. And there are some people who, uh, because of their views of uh, gender or other things, they find that offensive. They find it offensive that, that, you know, that I would hold the door for them because it's demeaning to them. You know, sometimes we resist help. Sometimes we push it away, maybe because of pride or um, for whatever reason, we resist help. Are you open to the Lord's help? Can you say, uh, like these psalmists, my help is in the name of the Lord? Will you share your weight with his shoulder? Will you let him hold the door for you? Will you let him help you? And then do you know God as helper? Do you know his help? But then also, do you know him as your helper? As the one you can call out to, not only in the extraordinary and excruciating difficulties of life, but in the very daily things of life. Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and our strength an ever-present help, an always-present help in time of trouble. Do, do you know him that way? I don't know if you've ever had a friend who's just a guaranteed help. You know, okay, if I have to move, if I call this friend up, they'll be there. Uh, if, if my kids are sick and, you know, I need someone to go pick up some 
groceries, I, I can call this person. If I'm in the hospital, I can call this person. It's just a dependable, helping friend. That's the way God wants us to know him. There's some helpers, right, who, who, who if you ask them for help, they will guilt you for, you know, you, you regret that you ever asked them for help because they just guilt you thereafter and you always feel like you owe them one. God's not that sort of helper. The, the, the positive of that is there are other people who, when they help you, they're like, oh, we love doing this. This was just on our way. This is, you know, this, this was the easiest thing. They're easy to entreat, easy to, easy to ask for help. They're enjoyable. It's the sort of help that God offers to you. I grew up uh, on one of the older translations of Scripture uh, in English, the King James Version. And, and you might remember if you, if you grew up on that in the story of Genesis, when God creates Eve, there's this really cool word that you don't find nowadays. They used it back in 1611, I guess. God realizes that, that Adam, um, Adam's good, but, but it's not good that Adam's alone. Something's not quite right. And so God decides to make him a helpmate or a help meet. And, and that is Eve. And Eve comes along and, and everything that's just, you know, lacking in man by himself. Wives, you can laugh if you want. You know, Eve, Eve was designed by God to complement Adam to be his help meet or his help mate to provide all that was lacking in him. And it's so neat because, again, this is before the fall. And God shows us, here's mankind made in my image. And part of God's nature is to help in the mundane things of life. The way that a husband or wife would help in just the normal things of life. In the pleasant and the unpleasant. In the verbal processing, in the sharing the load, in the carrying it together in the daily chores, in the weekly chores, in the yearly planning. Look up that Hebrew word, help mate, help meet. And it's the exact same word that is used here in these Psalms to describe God. He wants to come alongside you and wherever you're lacking, wherever you need some help, some companionship, someone to compliment you, someone to be strong where you're weak, he is your ever-present help. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So many ways a great spouse helps or even just a great friend helps. And when we do that for each other in friendship or in marriage, we're, we're showing the nature of God Sometimes in a, in a marriage, especially, you know, one spouse will be really good at understanding people and another one will be good at understanding numbers. Uh, one might be really good at making money and one might be really good at spending money. <laughs> one might be really good at making food and one might be really good at eating food. You know, but we, we all have these strengths and weaknesses. I, I hesitate to share this example because it sounds very stereotypical and chauvinistic. So I'm going to share two examples, and then I have to keep clipping along, okay? Here's my non-stereotypical example, okay? 
I, I, lo- I used to love doing yard work. I grew up in Michigan, and uh, that's how I made all my money in the summers, how I'd buy my motorcycles uh, as a teenager was mowing lawns and stuff. Well, I got here, and I'm so allergic to the stuff in this area. I, I mean, I have to get this, like, steroid shot just to make it through allergy season. It's, it's doing bad things to my arteries, I know, but I just have to to get through. I have to get this Kenalog shot. So I can't go out and, and weed whack or mow the yard. I just, I, I can't. And Melanie just like stepped it up a year or two ago. She's like, you know, babe, because I'd put on like the Japanese dust mask, you know, and I'd be out there and still my eyes get all, all runny. And for like the next two weeks, I'm sneezing. And, and, and so she saw, you know, John could use a little help here. And one day I look out and she's out there with the weed whacker. I'm like, whoa, I married Superwoman. So that's the non-stereotypical one. The more stereotypical one is when it comes to washing dishes. I'm really good at wiping down the counters. And, you know, when you've got little kids running around, there's just, there's messes everywhere, okay? I know this sounds chauvinistic, but this is just true, okay? That um, it takes me about an hour after dinner to wash all the dishes by hand. Mel can do the same dishes in 15 minutes, easily. And, and she knows I'll, I'll totally do them. I'm happy to do them. But she's like, just go, go get the kids a bath and I'll do them. By the time you're done with the bath, I'll be done with them. If I do them, we'll all night, I'll be standing there and she'll just have to stand in the kitchen if we want to talk. So, you know, I guess my, the point I'm trying to make, not very well, <laughs> is that in any good friendship or marriage, you realize there's things that the other person is better at than me. I wonder, are you humble enough with God, your helpmate, to acknowledge that there are areas where you, you need his help? And what I mean is the daily stuff. I mean things like, okay, I'm walking into this meeting. I've been in this kind of meeting a bunch of times before, and I usually don't do very well with it. God, will you help me with this meeting? Uh, God, this person just broke off a relationship with me and said it was for these reasons, and I've heard the same thing four other times. God, will you help me be better in relationships? Uh, you know, it, it, it's coming to God and just acknowledging, God, I need your help. You see, he, he is helping you, but do you know him as your helper? Do you know him as someone that you can call out to and say, God, I, I've got this struggle. You know, there's this sin struggle in my life. I, can't, I cannot defeat it, but I know you defeated it at the cross. Will you help me? I can't do it on my own, but I know I can do it if you help me. If God was not for us, we would not have made it through 2013. But God was for you. That's why you're sitting here today. God was for you, and God is for you right now. Look with me at Psalm 124. If the Lord had not been on our side, let all of Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent waters would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord, who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare, the snare that has been broken, and we have escaped. 
Our help, our helpmate, our helper is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The fact that you made it through 2013, it proves that whether you acknowledged him or not, whether you even knew he was there or not, God was helping you. And right now, he is helping you. Uh, For my undergraduate degree, my college years, I spent at this uh, college that, or university that I call a social experiment. I call it a social experiment because this place still operates like it's 1948. And I'm not joking, okay? You set foot on campus, and other than the cars, you'd think it was maybe 1956. I mean, all the women are wearing dresses. They have to go to the bottom of the kneecap. I had to wear a tie every day. I had a bedtime. I had to have my feet on the floor at 6.30 every morning. Uh, It sounds like a cult. It almost was, but just very, very conservative folks. My point is that every day we had chapel. And chapel, uh, there's like 5,000 people on this campus. And uh, everyone's in the chapel, which is this huge auditorium. And then right after chapel was this sprint, this rush of well-dressed humanity, sprinting to the dining common, the cafeteria, which, which fed everyone on campus. It wasn't like these modern colleges, these liberal places where people eat whenever they want. No, 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 no. We all ate at the exact same time, okay? And, and there was just this sprint to get to the, the dining common. And one time I made the mistake of holding the door there. And, and literally everyone's, you know, um, just chattering with each other. After chapel, you can take your tie off. So all the guys are pulling their ties off and speed walking. Not allowed to run, but you are allowed to speed walk. Everyone's speed walking to the dining common. And if you get stuck holding that door open, you're just going to be standing there through all of lunch because everyone's just zooming in and you're helping, but you're not really going to be acknowledged as a helper. And that's what God so often does in our lives. He's there holding the door and we are speed walking to get on to the next thing, to just get over the thing, to to move on and God's there and, and we just blow right past him. The fact that you made it through 2013 proves that God has been your helper. He has been holding the doors open for you. Have you acknowledged him? Have you thanked him for that? And now... Have you gotten to know him as your helper? It changes the way you go about the work of life when you get to know God as your helper, who's always there to help you through the meeting, help you through the difficult decision. A helpmate like in a healthy marriage, a great spouse. God, I know I need to be saving for retirement, but I'm bad at that. Will you help me? God, I I know I need to have a better relationship with my son or daughter, but I can't figure it out. Will you help me? He wants you to know him in a way that every day you can come to him dozens of times. Help me be patient with this person who's driving five miles an hour below the speed limit 
Help me. He wants to be your helper this year. Next, do you know God as companion? Companion on the pilgrim road of life. This pilgrimage. We, we heard about God's people thousands of years ago making this annual trip, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The New Testament in books like First Peter likens us to them and says that we're on a pilgrimage to the heavenly Jerusalem. We're walking through this desert, this fallen world, and we're on our way. We're making our way to heaven. And God says, not only do I want to be your helper, I want to be your companion. I want to walk with you. There's verses about this all through the Psalms of Ascent. Here's one in Psalm 125, verses 1 and 2. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion was something that these people would see on their trip, and, and it was something that, that was so symbolic for them of a place that will not be shaken. You know, God wants, wants you to know him as a companion in a way that gives you security and confidence. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, you know, Jerusalem kind of sits in a bowl between these mountain ranges that encircle it. So the Lord surrounds his people both now and forever. You know, you don't get much sturdier or unmovable than a mountain. God says, I I surround you like that. I'm that kind of companion that wherever you go, whatever happens, if I'm there, you're safe. Journey through the desert, through unsafe areas where robbers and marauders would attack, through dark nights, through hot days. The journey ended in the comfort of Jerusalem. Make it to Zion. Maybe the, the best modern analogy would be uh, one of those days when you have to wake up really early to travel. Let's say you get up at 3 a.m. and you either drive all day or you get to the airport and you catch a flight and you have a connecting flight and it's just a full day of travel. And you finally get to whatever other city and it's 11 p.m. and you check into your hotel and they give you your little plastic key card and you know on the other side of that door is comfort and safety. You can lay down. You can be yourself. You can just finally relax. That's how these people would have felt about getting to the Mount of Zion, getting to the city of Jerusalem. And God's saying to us in these Psalms, I'm that sort of resting place for you. I'm available to you every moment to find the comfort you need, the affirmation you need. You see, we want God to sustain, bless, protect, and provide. He does those things. But they're the equivalent of tasty sugar in a diet. While while we need a little bit of sugar, we need God to protect and sustain and, and provide. What we really need is to know him as our companion and our friend. There's all these food documentaries now. It's like a whole new genre of documentary, and I'm a documentary nerd. So every once in a while, I'll watch a food documentary, and because uh, they're all like big opinion pieces, essentially. Everyone's making an argument about a different terrible thing about our food. And I was watching one the other day, and it had this graph of an American diet, or really an industrialized Western diet, versus uh, people who you know live where they're still growing their own crops and eating their goats and chickens and stuff, right? And um, what it showed on this graph was like calorie intake 
for an American is like this. The nutrition is like this. So all these calories, but I'm preaching it, okay? And, uh, <laughs> but, but the flip for the, uh, the you know, non-industrialized folks who are growing natural crops is that the calorie intake was, was way lower, but the nutrition was way, way higher. Point being, you know, uh, a lot of foods are designed with sugars and MSGs and stuff to make you want to eat more of them. And you know what? If there was nothing else that you could eat, they, they would sustain you for a while. That's why some of us are here, right? Because of Cheetos and Mountain Dew and Starburst. Some of us wouldn't be here without those, right? And that's, you know, that's, I think personally, that's okay if, if, if you have a little bit, okay? It's not going to kill you to have a little bit. Getting really far from the scripture here. The point is, <laughs> the point is, if that's all that you eat, you're, you're going to have issues, okay? You, you need some leafy greens. You need actual nutrition. And, and, and it's this way with God. God as your helper, it's, it's what draws us to him. It's the sugar. He helps you. He gets you out of hell, right? He saves you. He cleans you up. He can help you overcome the sins that are in your lives. Those are all perfectly legitimate, bacon, sugar, good stuff, awesome. And you need it. You need it. But then as you grow in Christ, you get to know him as your friend and as your companion. And that's like when you start to realize, wow, you know, when I eat this way, I actually feel a lot better in the long run. And, and I don't know if that's the best analogy, but the point is we think we know what we need because of our tastes, but we often need something that is more nutritious. And, and we think we know we need God as helper, and that's true. He made you that way for a reason, but we need so much more. Our, what we were actually designed for is to know him as our companion, Well, let's skip to our third point here, and that is to know God as co-laborer, to know God as co-laborer. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. This verse is really a warning. As you're traveling, as you're doing, if you launch out ambitiously without God, all of your effort won't matter. So you want a better marriage? You want a healthier body and a healthier lifestyle? You want the next milestone in your career? Uh, many of those things are good desires that are from God. Psalm 127.1 tells us it doesn't matter how hard we work at them. If we go about them without God, we're not going to succeed. The labors labor in vain unless God builds the house. Abraham Lincoln once said, Without the assistance of the divine being, I cannot succeed. But with that assistance, I cannot fail. You know, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But in Christ, we can do all things, all the things that he's planned for us to do. You know, God wants you to have a healthy lifestyle and a healthy marriage more than you do. He wants you to be fulfilled in the spiritual and eternal ways even more than you do. He wants you to have peace more than you do. He wants you to be free from sin more than you do. He's waiting to help. He wants to be a co-laborer, and here's how it works. The load only lightens when we surrender 
our load. That is our ambitions, our goals, and exchange it for his. Most of us just want God to make our load lighter, right? God, here's my plan for the year. So if you're my co-laborer, awesome. Give me a hand. You know, we think of God as helper the way I think of, you know, my four-year-old Jack when I'm, you know, changing smoke detectors around the house or whatever. And he's like this little helper. No, that's not God as helper. God as helper and co-laborer is saying, okay, God, I have no agenda. What are you doing? I want to line myself up with you. I, I want to travel around with you. I want to be about your business. This is what Jesus described in Matthew 11 when he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Why are we weary and burdened? It's from, it's from striving, from doing, to prove ourselves and to make for ourselves and to provide for ourselves, and it wears us out. He says, Come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now, now the yoke, you know, was this wooden thing that was cut for the neck of the animal so it could pull the farming equipment through the field. You can't put a new yoke on unless you take the old yoke off. And so the idea is you've got to lay down what you want to do with your life. Take up his yoke, and you're going to find it's easier, it's gentler, and you have rest for your souls. So as we go into a new year, I wonder, are there some things that you've planned out that are really good and really ambitious and they're not necessarily morally wrong, but you you think about this and it's like, well, I'm kind of carrying my own yoke here. You've got the freedom to do that. It's just not going to be easy (laughs) or light. Is there something God's calling you to lay down? Is there something maybe he's calling you to pick up? He says, hey, my yoke, my easy yoke includes being in relationship with other believers. You know, you're not in any Bible studies, any home groups. You don't have any other men or women that you talk to about me. You know, my my yoke includes being around other believers, being part of a church family, being in, in my word. Are there some goals, some things in 2014 that you could do? but you'll choose today, you know, God, I'd rather have space to know you as my helper, my companion, my co-laborer. You know, I I could make that money. I could get that house. I could run so many miles. I could achieve that milestone in my career. But instead, God, I want to walk with you. I want to know you in my doing instead of being someone who's so busy doing that I don't really know you. I'm going to close with a story about Zoe. This just happened last night, and I just have to tell you guys, it's so funny. So Zoe, um, Zoe had, had on these Christmas pajamas that were, are too big, and they're, you know, footies with the zipper that goes all the way up. And, uh, and because they're too big, the, the footy part kind of flops down, and, and it's slippery on the part of the kitchen that is wood floor. She kind of slips around. Well, uh, she had taken her bath, and she was just about to go to bed, and she was all in her jammies. And I gave her this little, um, this little bowl of of crackers. It was actually a measuring cup, you know. So she's holding it by the handle. It's a little cup. It's got about five crackers in it, and and um, she's focusing so much on her walking that she drops them. And um, 
I know I probably shouldn't have laughed, but this scenario was just so funny to me. She, um, she bends down and she picks one up and puts it back in the cup. And then she bends down to get another one and drops the one that she just got and puts it in the cup. And she just keeps going. Every time she bends down to get another one, she drops the one that she just picked up. And I, I just stood there for about 15 seconds and watched her and thought, this, this could just go all night. Uh, and then, of course, I, I bent down and I, I picked her up and grabbed all the crackers with one hand and put them in the cup. It, it, you know, are you going to go through another year where you try and hold so many things and do so many things that one drops and you get down to pick that up and another drops and you go down to pick that up? Are you, you know, are you going to live another year that way? You're, you're just doing so much. There's not really any room for God. But if I get this next thing done, then there will be some room for God. Then I can be in a home group. Then I can be a little more consistent on weekends. If I just get to this point in my career, if I just, and, and we just keep bending down and, and we never get all the stuff picked up. And God's kind of standing there and he says, you know, I have helped you. But if you will slow down enough to know me as your helper, I'll pick it all up. And I'll pick you up and I'll carry you through this next year and you don't have to keep working to prove yourself. You can just kind of let me hold you and because of who you are, I'll work through you. And instead of you working alone, scrambling to pick everything up, you can work in companionship with me. I'm really thankful to have a sweet daughter who let me pick her up. You know, there's some people who'd be like, no, 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 I got this. Will you today, will you let God be your helper? Will you know him as your helper and your co-laborer in 2014? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you, Lord, as just a room full of ambitions and desires that come from the broken areas in our hearts. And Lord, we come to you as our creator and our maker. Father, we pray today that that we would know you in this new year. That in all the doing, we wouldn't just be rushing by you to the future, but that we'd be walking with you. Lord, right now in this room, I, I don't know, there's probably some people who didn't make any goals because they are you know, paralyzed by failures in the past. Maybe to them you're saying, hey, you, there are some things I'm calling you to do. And my yoke is that you actually get into a home group. My yoke is that you actually do some of these things that I've been talking to you about. Lord, for others, we have such full bowls in our lives. And, and we keep dropping things. And when we bend down to pick them up, we drop more things. And our whole life, we're just hunched over picking things up. And you want to pick us up. You want to carry those things for us. You want to carry us. So for those of us who identify with that, Lord, of all the things we're looking to do in this next year, just tell us which ones to leave on the ground. We trust that your hands are big enough to pick up the things that you want in our lives. We choose you over all those things. We love you, Jesus. Walk with us in this new year. We pray in your name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.